putting on a business suit doesn't make you a professional any more than putting on a pair of Jordans and make you a basketball player. It's showing up every single time and doing the work. That discipline, that's what separates the professionals from the amateurs. And that's why there are so many amateurs with so few professionals. This is your Kick-Ass Live podcast, episode number 368 with guest Dre Baldwin. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. I have a fantastic conversation coming up with our guest, but first I wanted to let you know that next week we are taking the week off from the podcast. I'm taking the week off, my team is taking the week off, and rest assured, we will be back that first week of 2021, and I hope that you are also able to have a restful end of the year. I also wanted to mention that coming up sometime in quarter one of 2021, I'm going to put out an episode that is about my own trauma healing and my own trauma therapy. I don't know if it's going to be solo. I might bring on one of my very dear friends who has kind of been on this journey with me, at least, you know, me talking to them about it. And I do these types of things to show transparency, to show you that, you know, how important it is to do this sort of deeper work. I'm also making this announcement now to hold myself accountable because in a few weeks... I might regret making the decision to come on as my own fear comes in and says, maybe you shouldn't talk about something so deep. It's so raw and vulnerable. And I think it's important as I'm sitting here today, it just kind of keeps tapping me on the shoulder as something that I think might be helpful for all of you. And I'm going to kind of give you an outsider's perspective, a peek behind the curtain, if you will, on what what the decision was like for me to to do that to you know how I found someone to hire the right therapist to do other kind of um, exercises the resistance that I had in doing some of those somatic exercises the things that I didn't felt like they helped the things that did help I just I just want to sort of give you that peek and hopefully it will help you in some own work that maybe you've been thinking about or considering or avoiding or resisting all of those things that I do as well. So anyway, look for that coming up in 2021. And today we're talking to Dre Baldwin. For those of you that don't know him, let me tell you a little bit about him. In just five years, Dre Baldwin went from his high school team's bench to a nine-year professional basketball career. At the same time, Dre built a content publishing empire. Blogging since 2005 and publishing videos to YouTube starting in 2006, Dre has published over 7,000 videos with his content being viewed over 73 million times. He's given four TED Talks and authored 27 books, and his daily Work On Your Game podcast has over 3 million listeners. So without further ado, here is Dre Baldwin. Dre, thank you so much for being here. Andrea, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I, like before we got started and when, actually when we, I've looked at your your site twice, you know, when you, we first booked this call and just before 
recording and I am so incredibly impressed at just the vast amount, the body of work that you have over the years. So you've written, am I correct that you have written like 20 something books? 27. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, you know, brag that I've written three. So I'm going to start from the very beginning and ask you, how did you come to this work? Like, were you writing books from a very early age? Did something happen and kind of like catapulted into your, into this life of motivational speaking and helping people? Or how did you come to be the Dre you are today? Yeah. To give you the short version of it, and I'm sure we'll fill in the blanks in between. Uh, I first started out, I was playing basketball. Uh, playing overseas, but the way most people came to know me uh, domestically in the United States was through YouTube. So I was putting basketball videos on YouTube before any athlete was putting any kind of workout content on the internet uh-huh. for free. We're talking 2006, seven, eight. Okay. Yeah. So you were so early after a few YouTube. years of doing that. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So players who were watching me in these basketball drills, they started asking me just about my background. I would reply to the comments and go back and forth with them. And this is back in the days when you could have civil discourse in the comment section on YouTube. Now, that ship has sailed. But that I was having that conversation. Players started asking me about the mental side of the game. Like, Dre, why do you keep working out every day? Because sometimes I'll be a free agent. I'll be practicing in the empty gym. And they're like, well, Dre, you said you play overseas, but here you are in Miami practicing by yourself. Why do you show up every day? So I started talking discipline. Or players would ask, Dre, how can you have the same confidence in the game with all these people watching that you have in practice when nobody's watching? So I spoke about confidence. But I asked, Dre, you got cut from your high school team three years straight, but you kept trying. You kept playing. Why? Mm-hmm. What was it that kept you driven? Because, listen, there are a thousand Dre Baldwin's for every one LeBron James. So those of you who don't know basketball like that, <laughs> uh, you hear about the superstars who make it and everything looks perfect. But there are a thousand, every LeBron you see, there are a thousand meets. Okay? Yeah. So the players would see me and they would say, well, Dre, well, I got cut from my high school team too. No, what kept you trying? Why would you try out the next year? So I started talking mental toughness. And then at this time, I had started to build a little bit of buzz online. Now, mind you, Andrea, this is the early days of personal branding, influencing, uh, content. We weren't even using these phrases yet. Right. We, weren't even saying we were still on MySpace yet. back then. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I was, yeah, I was heavy on MySpace <laughs> back then. So the players, people start asking me, well, how do you even get started with this stuff? Or even if they want to play overseas. So I started talking personal initiative. In other words, just being a go-getter, not sitting around waiting for opportunity, but going and getting it. And it also happened to be a great period of time, you know, when the internet domesticated, not domesticated, it was democratized itself mm-hmm. to where all of us could just put whatever out we wanted. I found out about Kindle Direct Publishing. I said, oh, I can just write a book and I don't need anyone to, okay, okay, I'll do that. So I wrote my first book, which is basically my early basketball story. It was a terribly written book. But you did it anyway. I, yeah. to, I did it anyway. By the time I got around, that was in 2010. So Andrew, when I got around to doing an audio book, when I realized I can make my own audio book and I started, and you know, when you do your own audio, you had to read your own book out loud. Right. And I'm reading through it and I'm like, this is horrible. <laughs> I need to redo this. So I had to, I went and rewrote the book and I did that for maybe my first three books. But as you said, I just took initiative. I saw that it was, it was there was an opportunity there, and my audience was so bought into me as a person. Nobody complained about the writing in that book. The only person who ever said it was terrible was me. But I went and rewrote that. And I was at the same time, I was making these basketball training programs. That's how I became an entrepreneur. I called it Hoop Handbook, like Hoop, like basketball Mm -hmm. handbook for basketball programs. And every Monday on YouTube, I would make these videos called the weekly motivation because players were asking about this mental stuff. So I just took one day a week and I would make a mindset video, two, three minute video. 
selfie video, way before selfie videos were a thing. I did that for about 400 weeks in a row. And that's how I built the foundation of this whole, you know, work on your game philosophy. And one day somebody left a comment on my video on YouTube and they said, Dre, you are, you know, you're a basketball player and you're making all these hoop handbooks, but every Monday you're talking about mindset. So why don't you make a mental handbook? I said, okay. So that became another one of my books, a mental handbook. So over the years, Andrea, all I've done in creating these books is just answer people's questions. That's mm-hmm. all I do in creating content. Just answer the questions that people have, whether they ask it directly or I can tell that they have a question, but they don't even quite know what the question is. I just create something that answers it. So whether it's some free content, whether it's a, a tweet, whether it's a book, a course, whatever it is, I'm just answering the questions that I know people have. You know, people are telling me it feels like you're reading my mind. That's the highest compliment you can give me because it means I'm really tuned into my audience. Yeah. It sounds like you embraced your your gifts and just really followed, again, like read the room and and know what people, right. people are really wanting. So, and I know there's so many parallels to life that there is in sports. So it seems like it was a, a pretty organic marriage. I'm, I'm curious about, Mm-hmm. You know, what is, cause you say work on your game. So what is that all about and how can you know, the everyday person use it? Somebody who maybe isn't super into basketball. Oh, absolutely. Well, work on your game is not even about sports. You know, it came from, I was playing sports and the athletes kept asking me for advice and tips and help because they were watching me on YouTube. And one day I was in a 24 hour fitness injury. This is about four o'clock in the morning. And I finished doing a workout and I had my camera with me as always. That's another, another tip people can keep in mind. Nowadays, we all have cameras, yeah. right? Our phones. Mm-hmm. But back then you had to have a separate camera. And I had just finished the workout and I was just thinking about all the questions I kept getting asked on YouTube. And I made a quick little video, just talking to the camera. This video is about two minutes long. And I said to the players out there, listen, the reason why you keep getting cut from your team and you're not making the team and your teammates aren't passing you the ball is because look at where we are right now. I'm in a gym practicing. You're on YouTube watching videos. So what you need to do is stop watching YouTube, stop playing Xbox, stop standing on the corner and go work on your game. And I put some other colorful language in there, but this is what people picked up on. They picked up on that work on your game phrase. And that's where I started using it. And the great thing about it is that people pretty much, you can, it's kind of self-explanatory as soon as you hear work on your game. Okay. I get it. So people see me with the work on your game hat when I'm walking around Miami and they're like, Oh, work on your game. I like that. So what is it about? It's about taking the mental tools necessary to succeed in the sports world, to get to that top 1% where you're a professional getting paid to play your sport and t- taking those same tools and applying them at work and applying those tools in life. And of course, any athletes out there, you can apply them in sports. And the four uh, basic principles, as I, I just touched on, are discipline, show up every day and do the work, confidence, put yourself out there boldly and authentically, mental toughness, keep showing up, doing the work, putting yourself out there. Even when the success you've expected to achieve is yet to be achieved and personal initiative, make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. I love those four pillars. Okay. So it's discipline, confidence, mental toughness. And then did you say personal initiative? Was that, did I, did I have all four? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And so why do you think that discipline is such an important aspect of success? I'd love your thoughts on that. Oh, wow. Well, discipline is the foundation. Uh Discipline is the very foundation for several reasons. Number one, a lot of people resist discipline. So coming from the sports world and being that it's competitive, because in the professional sports world, everybody can't make it. Everybody can, you know, if you pass the bar, anybody can become a lawyer. Anybody can start a podcast, for example. 
anybody can start a YouTube channel. Everybody can't make the NBA. Everybody cannot play on the the national soccer team Mm -hmm. because there's a limit to how many jobs there are. So if you want to separate yourself in the sports world, you you can look at your competition, see what they're not doing and do that. And that automatically puts you ahead of most people. A lot of people don't want to be disciplined because discipline entails doing the same things over and over again on a consistent basis with very little variance in performance. And sometimes it gets boring. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, of course. It can be extreme. It can be very tedious. It can be very monotonous. And this is what keeps people from getting Mm -hmm. to that highest level because they're not willing to do the same things over and over again. I mean, if you think about it, wherever you're listening to this, this show right now, I mean, if you open up the Apple Podcast app or Spotify, or you go into the Apple store, or you go to McDonald's, or you go to get your gas, your oil change, it's the exact same experience over and over and over again. Now, it might not be monotonous to you because you're not doing it all the time, but for the people who work there, people who work at Apple, the engineers, it's the same stuff over and over again. At Spotify, the same stuff over McDonald's, the same process over and over again, and that's the reason why they are so successful. So the thing that I tell people about being a professional, one of the key areas of being a professional is not the performance when the lights are on. It's everything you're doing when the lights are not on, when nobody's watching, when nobody's paying attention. What I tell people about sports is when you hear an athlete tell you that they're retiring, they're not going to play anymore, it's not because they got tired of the games. The games are the fun part. (laughs) If all basketball was was playing in the games, Andrew, we wouldn't be on this call right now. I'd be playing basketball somewhere. <laughs> the games are the easiest, funnest part of being a professional athlete. The reason athletes stop playing is because of everything else. The practices every day, the off-season training, the ice bath. I was going to say the sore the muscles, sore the injuries. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Everything other than playing in the game. If all I had to do was play in the game. We wouldn't be here right now. I'd be out there playing in the game. So being a professional is your willingness to show up every single day and perform regardless of how you are feeling. That's what makes you a pro. It's not about, now by the, the dictionary definition is you make money, right? You get paid, you have a, a title, you get yourself a nice suit, you got yourself a corner office, you got a business card, a nice car, all of that. Listen, what I tell people, uh, Andrew, is that putting on a business suit doesn't make you a professional any more than putting on a pair of Jordans and make you a basketball player. Mm-hmm. It's showing up every single time and doing the work that discipline. That's what separates the professionals from the amateurs. And that's why there are so many amateurs, but so few professionals. I love this. And it makes me think of what you and I were chatting about before we started recording in my my former roller derby days. And and I I, I was telling you, like, I miss it so much. I can feel it viscerally. And I, I watch derby on on YouTube and 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 I start thinking about going back. And the truth of it is like I don't want the discipline of having to go to practice two or three times a week and all the volunteer hours that right. we have to do for <laughs> fundraising and all of the the other stuff because they're, they're league run. Uh, I don't want any of that. Mm-hmm. I just want to be at the bouts, like where all the fame and glory is, <laughs> where it's really exactly. exciting. So I have found when I think of discipline, I, I, there's a part of me that recoils a little bit because... I think like many people listening, I've spent years feeling like I need to be disciplined about things that don't really matter, which is diet culture. And that is another conversation for another time. However, now I look at it as when I think about something I want and I, I have to ask myself, do I want all of the stuff that goes along with it in order to get me there? So for instance, maybe a better example than the roller derby one is like, I want to be 
I want to have a body that functions and works very, very well. And so now that I am 45, it's different now than it was before in terms of me working out. Like now, I mean, I'm not kidding, Dre, when I tell you, like, I hurt my shoulder taking off my sports bra not that long ago. Like, I threw my back out lifting a bottle or a gallon of milk incorrectly. I'm not joking. So, like, I need to do these functional movements and, and be strong enough to just be able to pick up a gallon of milk and take off my sports bra. And so when I think about like, oh, I don't want to get on the Peloton today. I don't want to lift weights today. And I ask myself, is it more comfortable for me to... Can I can I survive the discomfort of having to get on the bike for forty five minutes today? Because the payoff is going to be way less injuries. I am more strong, so that that's kind of what I weigh out. And the answer ninety nine percent of the time is is yes. I want the thing. I don't know if I'm explaining this very well. (laughs) I want the thing over there, and it is worth the discomfort and boredom of getting on the bike for forty five minutes. Yes, and you are absolutely explaining it right. And this is the, the answer. What you just said is the answer that I give when someone asks, you know, how does someone start actually being disciplined? How can someone implement discipline if they've never had it before? The answer is, what do you want strongly enough that you are willing to be disciplined? Mm-hmm. Because you can't force someone to be disciplined unless they're going to hire, unless you're going to hire a coach or you know, a drill sergeant to scream in your face to hold you accountable. You have yeah. to still want something, right? You have to want something strong enough to implement the discipline. Cause even if uh, I hook someone up with an accountability partner or you hire a coach or you sign up for some system that's going to show you exactly what to do next, you still have human will. You still have the right to not show up to your training session. Mm-hmm. You can still tell your coach to it. You're fired. You can still you know, not come to the gym. You can still not follow the process. So eventually it all boils down to the individual person. Do you want this outcome enough that you're willing to submit to the discipline of the process, whatever that process happens to be? And as far as what you talked about, Andrea, I'm a few years younger than you. I'm 38, but I know it's to me now that I I start to feel that little little aches and bruises last a little bit longer now. Mm So, you know, I run now. I don't play basketball anymore. Right. So I'm, I'm running and my knees bother me just a little bit more. And I hurt my lower back the other day. I think I was just being careless doing some deadlifting. I wasn't even lifting heavy weight. You got to watch out I for those gallons of milk, Dre. I'm telling you, like, it's not the deadlifts. <laughs> it's like eight and a half pounds. Yeah, well, the, the, amount of weight, yeah, the amount of weight I was lifting was about the weight of a, a gallon of milk. <laughs> but I think I just wasn't paying attention. I yeah. wasn't focused. And I tweaked my lower back and it hurt, it hurt me to run or hurt me to get up and sit down. Because I wasn't paying attention. That wouldn't have happened when I was 24. But I absolutely get what you mean. Okay. Well, I'm, I, we talk a lot about confidence over here because I feel like it's something that, you know, even people who feel like they do really pretty well in life and are successful and they can still work on their confidence a little bit. So how do you feel that discipline creates confidence? Oh man. Well, discipline, well, definition of confidence is your belief in your ability to do something. Mm -hmm. So the common question with confidence, especially for young athletes is, how can I be confident if I never did it before? So number one, it's the discipline of knowing that you put in the work. When you know that you have put in the work, you have earned your right to be confident. And sometimes when I talk about this concept of confidence, especially with the way that I present myself and talk about it, some people say, well, I want to be confident, Dre, but I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be cocky. You know, I, want, yeah. I still want to be humble. And what I tell people is discipline, being disciplined, showing up every single day and doing the work is the most humble thing you can possibly do. What better show of humility is there than you showing up every day and putting the work in in your business and your relationships and your 
sport and whatever you're doing, because if you didn't believe you needed to get better, if you didn't believe you needed to do more work, you wouldn't be there. So showing up every day to practice as an athlete earns you the right to be confident, so confident that some people might call you cocky once you get into the once you get into the performance. Kind of like a story I tell of, of Floyd Mayweather, the boxer. Mm-hmm. He was about to fight a big prize fight one night, and the wrestler Triple H was at the fight. And the two these two guys know each other. So Triple H gets invited back to the locker room. He's hanging with Floyd right before this huge prize fight. And, you know, Floyd fights for you know, $100 million and all his belts wow. on the line. And Floyd is sitting there just talking, watching TV, laid out as if nothing's happening. And Triple H notices on the, there's a clock counting down in the locker room that down to about 30 minutes. And Triple H, knowing how he needs to get prepared for his performances, he says, let me get out of Floyd's way so Floyd can get himself prepared. So he excuses himself from the locker room. But Floyd says, no, you're cool. You don't need a leak. So they stay. They hang out. And then it gets down to about 10 minutes on the clock. And Triple H is like, man, I, I'm going to get out of here. Let me get out of your way. And Floyd kind of got a little bit annoyed with Triple H. And he said, look, man, if I'm not ready to go perform right now, nothing I'm going to do in the next 10 minutes is going to get me ready to perform. And those of you who follow boxing, uh, you know Floyd's undefeated. So whatever fight that was, he won. Because he had already done the work. He had already put the time in and earned his right to be confident. And the concept that I share with people when we talk confidence, Andrea, is called the super you. So the super you is not faking it till you make it, mm-hmm. which is a common concept people talk about when it comes to confidence. I, don't, I do not believe in fake it till you make it. I don't believe it's a real thing. Because faking it, if you tell your brain that you're faking it, your subconscious mind knows what you said. Now, you can't okay. fool your subconscious. And it, it takes everything you say literally. So if you say, I'm faking to be, let's say you're a boxer, I'm going to fake to be Floyd Mayweather, or you're an author, I'm going to fake to be Andrea Owens, or your brain knows that you're faking. It knows that you're pretending. It knows at some point the jig is up, right? It knows that at midnight, like Cinderella, you're going to go from wearing that beautiful ball gown back to the rags, right? And now you got to run home so nobody sees you. But when you decide to unlock the super you, you are still being yourself at your highest level of confidence. And that's where you can unlock the skill. And I'll give you one uh, story with that. There was a high school basketball player. He was a mediocre player. Now, a basketball team has about 12 players on the team. This kid was maybe the ninth or 10th best player on the team. Mediocre at best, on his best day. But this day in practice, the coach gathers everyone up and says, today, I want each one of you to show each other how you play. Instead of me, the coach, criticizing you and telling you what you do wrong, I want each one of you to show each other what you do wrong. So he goes down the line and he assigns each player to pretend to be one of their teammates all day in practice. So he's assigning you going to be him, you be him, you be him. And he tells each player, look, pay attention to the guy who's being you today. So every mistake that he's making, you know, that's what you do. And now, you know, it's not me as a coach that's trying to turn a rag on you, your own teammates telling you. So you can't think that I'm hating on you. So this player, this mediocre guy, the storyteller, he happens just by luck of the draw. He gets assigned to be his teammate, Mike. And Mike happens to be the best player on the team. Now, this guy's the ninth or tenth best player, but his assignment, according to his coach, is to be the best player on the team. So what I ask an audience whenever I set the story up is, and I'll ask you, Andrea, how do you think he played that day in practice? He probably played really, really well. And was it Michael Jordan? Was Mike Michael Jordan? <laughs> no, it wasn't Michael Jordan. <laughs> I'm really getting into the story. Sometimes okay. <laughs> I offer that, uh, yeah, sometimes I give that disclaimer. No, not Michael Jordan. Okay. His he probably played a lot better than ninth or tenth on the team. Yes. He played that day the best he had ever played in his life. Better he had ever played before and better than he ever played since. He's doing all kinds of moves, making all kinds of shots. And his teammates are looking at him like, where is this coming from? At the end of practice, his coach says to him, 
man, if that's what it takes, you need to pretend to be Mike every day for the rest of your career. Hmm. And what he had tapped into was the super you. And the, the point that I make with people when I tell that story is, listen, he didn't just all of a sudden develop all these skills in, in the 30 seconds that it took the coach to tell him to pretend to be Mike. He already had those abilities within him. He just needed to be given permission to step outside of who he had always been and become somebody different. And that's what the super you is about is the permission that not someone else gives you, because this is a, a 15 year old kid being told what to do. But anyone listening, if you're 35, 55, 27, 36, you have to give yourself permission to step outside of who you've always been to this point and be that highest possible level of yourself. And the biggest challenge with this is not what anybody else is going to say or do is what we think about ourselves, our own self judgment of what we think about ourselves we step outside of that person. And then what we do is we take our own self-judgment and we project it onto other people. Oh, they're going to think that. But it's not really anybody else thinking about you. Most people don't think about other people. We think about ourselves. Yeah. But we project it onto others so that we don't have to take the responsibility of saying, you know what, this is what I think about me and that's what's holding me back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, there were so much rich nuggets in there that I, that I want to pull out. And, and I, I love the concept of the super you and I, you know, you could, you could call that your highest self. We, we say that over here and um, I love, I thank you for that story. I love, 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 love it. So talk to us about mental toughness, which I know is, is like a big part of your brand. And, and how is that, how can mental toughness that you might use for sports, how can that apply more specifically just to life in general? Of course, mental toughness, I define it as your willingness and ability to continue being disciplined, meaning you keep showing up, doing the work and being confident, meaning you keep putting yourself out there boldly and authentically and believing in your process, even though the success that you expected to achieve by this point has yet to be achieved. Uh-huh. The reason why mental toughness matters so much is by this concept that I tell people that you're either going to be a story or a statistic. If anyone has ever started a business, uh, launched a podcast, uh, tried to become a, a professional in a sport, uh, you try to get a book deal. Uh-huh. How often do you hear people trot out to you and, and they're trying to help you? They'll tell you something like, well, listen, 99% of people who get publishing deals never earn out their advances. I'm sure you heard that before. Uh-huh. Andrea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard or that. Or they say, you know, most, yeah, most podcasts that launch, uh, they, they're dead within six months. Yeah. Or most people who try to make it to the NFL, 99% of them don't make it. Here's the thing. So everybody in life is going to go through some, through some shit. You either are going through some shit right now, you just finished going through some, or you're about to, right? What separates the stories from the statistics is not the fact that some people went through less shit or they went through more shit, is the fact that the stories are the people who went through the shit, kept going, and then they got to the outcome. And now what do they do? They get to write a book, start a podcast, get on a stage, and they get to tell you the story of how they went through the same shit that the people in the audience are going through. But I kept going. Here are the techniques that I use to deal with it. And here's what happened on the other side. And that's how I'm on this stage. That's why my face is on the cover of this book. Whereas the other people, the statistics, and this is the majority of people out there, they go through the same shit that the stories go through, but something slows them down. Something stops them. Something causes them to quit. Something has just blocked them from getting to where they want to go. And they just become one mm-hmm. of those stats. They become the statistic of people who don't achieve that outcome, who they become the they become the rule instead of the exception. Right. So when we hear these exceptions to the rule, those are the people who get to come out and tell their story. And those are the people that we want to know about. 
Whereas, you know, everybody in life goes through shit. It would be great if we could hear from the failures. We could find out how they, how they fail and why they fail. But as Jim Rohn once famously <laughs> said, you know, the failures don't get to give speeches because nobody wants to pay them, right? <laughs> everybody will pay the stories because they succeeded and they got to the end line. I think, yes, yes, to everything that you're saying. And I, and I want to add an anecdote here in that. So when I work with clients, what tends to happen, and I'm sure you've heard this having conversations with many people, and they might be telling you something and within maybe this, you know, 30 seconds of them telling you about something, there'll be one sentence that sounds a little bit different from the rest of the sentences. So they might say something like, I know it was something that I was meant to do, or I know I can succeed in this. And then kind of surrounding that whole sentence are all the excuses that they have or all the reasons that it won't work. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you ever heard that before? Like, I just, I grab onto that sentence and I'm like, and sometimes they don't even know that they said it. And the way I describe that is like, that's your essential self. Like that is your, your highest self that spit that sentence out so easily. And especially if I can see the person, like it's their, their body changes too. And, and I, and I'm telling you, like, sometimes they don't even remember that they said the one thing. And I always point that out to them because like, that's what I want more of. So I'll give you an example. I was talking to my literary agent a few years ago and we were, he was in negotiations with my contract for my second book, how to stop feeling like shit. And he said, there is, there's a part in the contract that says that you get a bonus and this is pretty standard. You get a bonus and it wasn't like a ton of money, but still it was, it was nice. You get a bonus if you earn out within 12 months of your book being published. So what that means is like you sell enough copies to earn out your advance. And that's what you said, you know, 99% of authors don't earn out ever. If you can do that within 12 months, then you get this bonus. He said, I tried to negotiate 24 months. And they said, no, they, you know, it stands at 12 months. And I said out loud, and I don't even know where it came from. I said to him, well, then I'm just going to have to earn out in 12 months. And, and then like, after it came out of my mouth, I thought to myself, well, that's impossible. Like nobody does that. Like that is incredibly rare, but I thought it was interesting that I said it without even thinking. And it, and then I, I judged myself for being arrogant and like, you know, you should be more humble, et cetera, et cetera. Guess who earned out in, tw- in exactly 12 months? What's my publisher offering me that deal? Oh my God. And, and when it happened, I was just like with my mouth hanging open when my agent called me and he was like, and I don't keep track of stats as much as I should, but I was floored when he told me I, I earned out. I mean, just by a right. hair, we made it under 12 months. And I, I tell that story because... I personally have tried to to really listen to that voice, whether it's internal or it's things that I say out loud that I judge for being arrogant or bragging or impractical or impossible. And I look at that as my, is that what you called it? A super you? That's my super you. And a lot of times, you know, it's my, it's my best self. It's, it's my, my highest version of me that really wants to come forward and and be of service to people. That's the version of each one of us, Andrea, that has been socialized out of us. When we're born as babies, we get whatever we want, right? We make noise and cry until we get, right. Somebody picks us up, (laughs) give us the, the, 
the, the binky that goes in the mouth or you know, whatever it is that we need, blows our nose, uh-huh. whatever the situation. But then as we get older, we start to understand language. We get taught that we're not always going to get what we want. We can't always have what we want. And all these, these things, depending on the adults that you're around, everybody, adults learn these limiting beliefs. And then they, be, they get hardened into just strong beliefs. They get hardened into convictions. And then we pass them along to the next generation. And then, you know, people just, they have these barriers built up inside of themselves. And we don't even realize that these were handed to us. We didn't come up with these opinions and beliefs. They, they were assigned to us right. by people who are just as limited or maybe even more limited than we are. And we don't realize it. And it's only when people get with somebody like yourself, Andrea, and they realize, oh, this was, this was taught to me. I don't have to believe this. This isn't the way that I have to live. I can do something differently. But the, the biggest challenge in the world these days, Andrew, is, and you know this, is that people have to seek it out. You know, it's not like you can go, you know, running from person to person and tell them, hey, mm-hmm. here's a way you can look at yourself differently. They have to come looking for what you're offering. And if they're not looking for it and they're not interested, then they could live their entire lives with all this value within them that they never get out of them. And then they, as I like to say, they eventually go to the most valuable real estate on earth, which is known as the cemetery, the graveyard, because all that value. People. They never, they never oh, get it out of gosh. them. They never uh-huh. get the music out of them. <laughs> yeah. I'm interrupting this conversation to share a few words from one of our sponsors. As a woman, I find it important to always be heard and exercise my right to vote. More than 160 million projected voters cast their ballot this year, shattering records. We want to know what motivated you to participate in an election that will help us deliver a democracy where we all can thrive. We've heard from first-time voters, those who stood in line for hours, and those who were moved to tears knowing how important their vote was. If you or someone you know had trouble voting, or if there's any other experience you'd like to share, let your story be heard now. Now, visit andstillivote.org slash your dash story dash matters to join the fight for voting rights today. That's andstillivote.org slash your dash story dash matters. Paid for by the Leadership Conference Education Fund. And that link will also be in the show notes. Thank you for supporting our sponsors because that in turn supports this show. And now back to the conversation. Okay. Well, I want to shift gears slightly and ask you about uh, personal initiative. So tell us, you know, how valuable and, you know, how did, how did that become the fourth, um, do you call them pillars or keys? I don't want to, I don't want to say the language wrong. Interchangeable. (laughs) Principles. Okay. How did that become, you know, the fourth principle um, and and helpful to you in your career? Once people do start to get into personal development, and uh, again, I'm sure you know this. Sometimes people become what I like to call professional information gatherers. So they're just getting there, listening to another podcast. Let me read another book. Let me sign up yes. for another workshop. Let me attend another mastermind. I I talk to my audience uh, uh, on the regular about this. Yeah, I have a colleague that calls them hoarders, the hoarders of information. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, they're just gathering more information. Let me get more information. Let me get more. Oh, the new show out. Let me listen to that. Oh, you wrote another book. Let me go read that. And now they got to get more information before they do anything. And all this mindset stuff is great, but you have to implement. It has to actually be used and you have to go do something with it. So the thing about me is I'm a person who I will do something with only 10% of the information. As long as it's something from which I can recover from a mistake. Now, I wouldn't tell you to go do this. You know, if you're learning how to fly a plane, don't go do it with 10% of the information. (laughs) 
But if it comes to you know, writing a book or starting a blog or even starting a podcast, you can do this with only 10% of the information and you will learn along the way on top of the fact that you're going to separate yourself from 97% of the population who is either not even having information or they get so much information that they start second guessing themselves. Because the thing is, there yeah. will, with so many different people offering information on the same topic, if you take in enough of it, eventually the information will start conflicting with each other. And then you're going to ask yourself, okay, well, mm-hmm. this person said this about confidence and they sound pretty good. This person said this and they wrote a book too. So which one is right? And now in your moments of mm-hmm. indecision, trying to figure out which one to listen to, somebody else who didn't read either book is blasting past you because they just start, they just start taking action and just figuring it out along the way as they went along. And then they become an author of a book while you're waiting around trying to figure out which book to listen to. So the personal initiative is all about making things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. And all of us in life are going to be in situations where we don't have an in, you know, we don't have, we don't have parents who hooked us up. We don't know anybody who knows somebody. The opportunities are not coming mm-hmm. to us. They're not falling into our lap, but we have value that we want to offer the world. And if you sit around waiting for someone to recognize your value, uh, you might be waiting for a long time, like that Snickers commercial. You're not going anywhere for a while. Right. But if you go and take action <laughs> and go do something, you start generating the energy. I heard someone once say, if nobody's knocking on your door, you got to go start knocking on doors. If no one's calling your phone, you got to start ringing some phones. And one thing that I've found in my life, Andrea, and I'd be interested to hear if this has happened with you, is that when I start taking initiative, nothing's happening, and I start taking initiative, and I just start doing stuff. I go send some emails. I go call some phones. I go knock on some doors. I go just start mm-hmm. doing something. All of a sudden, now that energy starts coming back. Now my inbox starts lighting up. Now people start calling me. Now things just start happening, all because I took initiative. And it sounds maybe hocus pocus, like some magic stuff, but it's actually just the law of karma, which I've never heard anybody say they disagree with it, is that the energy you put out is the energy you get back. When you start taking initiative, things start happening. It's just the way that it works. I agree with that. I, I also wanna I wanna add that so Dre, I think you and I are a lot alike, and yeah. I am mildly obsessed with personality assessments. And (laughs) one of them is the Colby index. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it it breaks you up into like four kind of personalities and and you sound like you're a quick start like me. Um, and I I just think it comes naturally to some people just to like, we just take action, like all, and it's interesting in, you know, as entrepreneurs, I am, I'm close with someone who has just started a business and this person, you know, I'm like encouraging them to take action and, and, and they're, they're overthinking everything and analyzing and planning and prepping and prepping some more. And I'm like, Oh my God, just take action. But it's, it's in talking to this person more, it's interesting because I like to take action and then learn my lessons retrospectively. And this person likes to learn their lessons prospectively. And it's just their Mm -hmm. personality. So I found what's helpful is as I'm helping this person is to say, I love that about you. And I don't want you to change your personality. And at the same time, we need to find a happy balance and medium for you to take action on this, or it's genuinely not going to work. I honestly feel like that statistic about how businesses fail is probably has a lot to do with people who just naturally aren't quick starts and they don't find accountability and encouragement and support to take action because it's just not inherent to them. So I say all that not to give people listening an out and not to disagree with you, Dre, because I totally agree with you, but just, you know, for people who don't feel like that's their inherent personality, 
you have got to get support. That might look like a peer mastermind that, you know, it's just like a gathering of friends where you hold each other accountable. Maybe they hire a coach. Maybe they, you know, some people are motivated through like competitions, uh, you know, within their family or something like that. But there are ways for you to create some kind of way that personal initiative does work for you. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you said that because in life, sometimes we have to fill in the gaps. Like none of us is perfect at everything. So people like you and I who are quick starts, we need people around us who are planners, who are people who like to strategize and lay yes. things out. And all right, and make we'll fly by the seat of our pants all day. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we'll just keep doing stuff and figure it out along the way. And the thing is, if you're a hustler, you work hard enough and you have some talent and some intelligence and maybe some luck, you can actually get results doing it just like that. But eventually you're going to get to a point where you're like, okay, I need to actually strategize and put a plan together so I yeah. know what the hell I'm doing. And then there are people on the other side who are more of the planning and strategizing. Let me get everything right before I start. They need to be balanced out with someone who's like, okay, let's go do something. Let's go take some action here. So Mm -hmm. in life, none of us is no perfect, perfectly well-rounded. Everybody needs something. Every team needs a, like on a a sports team, Team. you got the shooters who score all the points and you got the rebounders who grab the rebounds, the defenders who know play defense. They don't score much. You got the guy sitting on the bench who never get in the game. But everybody has a role. Every team has a role. So mm-hmm. even in your derby days, I don't know what a team is in derby, but I'm sure everybody had a role. There's some people who do one thing. Everybody had a role. Yeah, else. exactly. I mostly fell down. That was my role. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you didn't. Try not to get much. run over. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. I didn't fall down. As you know, it was pretty much the same. But yes, I love that analogy. That's so perfect. Mm-hmm. I want to before we wrap up. I want to ask you one more question, and that's what is the most valuable thing that people get from you? The most valuable thing. And I'm glad you asked this. The most valuable thing people get from me is they know that I'm going to keep it real with them. I'm going to tell them exactly how I see things. And while they may not always agree, they will respect it because I can, I know how to let people know this is what I see. And I'm also going to tell them why I'm going to build a case for why I see things this way. This is where I'm getting this perspective from because I'm seeing this, this, and this. And because of these things, I'm going to connect it to this, this, and this. So people know they're going to get the honest perspective from me. They know I'm not going to give them any bullshit. I'm not going to say something just because I think somebody might be pissed off by it or that I feel like I need to please a certain audience. And these days, Andrea, with so many, no quote unquote influencers, so many authors, so many podcasts, so many people starting businesses and just wanting to get their name and their likeness and their information out there. Some of them actually trying to help. Some of them just trying to boost their ego. Uh, one of the main things people need these days is authenticity. We have all mm-hmm. been conditioned unconsciously because we're on these phones all day, on the internet all day. We have all been conditioned to be experts at identifying bullshit so easily and so quickly. We can see through somebody who's not being real. We can see through when somebody posts something, you can tell without even thinking if it's an advertisement or is an actual, just a regular post. It's, you can tell. Everybody can. Even people who don't even study this stuff. Because we are, we look at a thousand posts a day. You look at a thousand, many thing a day. You're gonna get really good at identifying you no know, one part from another part. So that authenticity is what people want from me, and they are either looking to hear the truth about themselves, or they want to learn how they can tap into more of their own authenticity. That's what they come to me for. 
I love that so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And I just want to tell everybody your website is drealday.com. And of course those links are in the show notes. Where do you want to send people? Is there somewhere else? Like, do you mostly hang out on YouTube or Instagram? Where can people go to get more of you besides drealday.com? Oh, well, I'm on all the social media platforms. The place I hang out the most where people can you know write to me and I'll write back and all that is definitely Instagram right now. So my Instagram is at Dre Baldwin, one word. At Dre Baldwin on Instagram. Thank you so much. I've loved this conversation and and I, I was able to totally follow, even though I don't know uh, basketball <laughs> that much. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And everybody listening, thank you for your time today. You know how valuable I think that your time is. So thank you. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye, everybody. 